to Matthew chapter 7, if you would please. And we're going to begin a series, short series, I think, but we'll see what the Lord does. Matthew chapter 7, and if you would begin with me there in verse number 17, the name of this series is called Faith and Fruit. Faith and Fruit. And we're going to take a look at various passages that deal with both of these things. And I think sometimes there's some confusion that, that creeps in when we combine these two things. People get an expectation of, of what kind of fruit or how much. And uh, if you have faith, how soon will you have fruit? And I, I want to deal with some of the misunderstandings that I hear about and, and that are commonly mentioned and then we'll also look at some passages, even tonight's I think is one of the common passages that deals with faith and fruit, but you'll see some of the pitfalls that people fall into when talking about this subject. So faith and fruit, we're not by any means going to deal with this comprehensively tonight. Please understand that. We're going to look at other passages as the weeks go on that are going to deal with this deeper and deeper and deeper. But tonight we're going to set the tone with this. So Matthew 7 and let's read verses 17 to 20. It says here, Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. All right, so let's pause just for a moment. Let's bow our heads and pray together, ask for God's help and clarity here, and then we'll continue on with this lesson. Father, help us tonight. We thank you that we've already been able to sing uh, to you and a good reminder of a song. Lord, we want to let you have your way in our lives. I pray you'd have your, your way tonight in this lesson. I pray that if there are some misunderstandings, perhaps tonight we can get some clarity. I pray you'd fill each one of us with your Holy Spirit. We thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Amen. All right, so many times when people talk about uh, the evidence of somebody's salvation, this is a common passage that will, they will turn to. And they'll say, well, if you want to know if somebody is saved or not, by their fruits ye shall know them. Let me say right off the bat, there is definitely truth to that approach. Okay, definitely uh, some truth in that. However, there are, I think, sometimes that people with good intentions, they come to this passage and go way too far with the application of it. So we're going to take our time and kind of unpack these verses tonight. So people will use verse 20 by itself to decide whether or not somebody is saved. Now the danger in that is if you say, well, you know them by their fruits, all of the sudden you're going to start teaching a fruits for salvation system. And, and, and it will come across as if you're saved because you have fruit. You're saved because you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. Now, because of that belief and that receiving of Jesus Christ, yes, there should be some fruit that eventually comes from that. But let's not get confused and start saying, well, you're saved because of the fruit. That's one of the, the, the downsides or the pitfalls to this. So in this passage, can you see from the verses we've read, verse 17, uh, every good tree bringeth forth what kind of fruit? Good fruit. Look at verse 18. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. All right, so 
if you just take that little snippet of the verse, look what we can teach. A saved person, a good tree, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. So a saved person cannot have bad fruit. Do any of you have any bad fruit since you received the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, then none of you are saved. See, if we just take that one little snippet, you're all going to burn. Verse 19, you're all heading for the fire, right? So do you see how you cannot just grab one little part of one verse and then just run away with it? You end up with some dangerous extremes, to say, well, if I'm saved, then I'm always going to have good fruit. And if I have any bad fruit, that must mean that I wasn't really saved. Do you see how that can lend itself to making a person doubt constantly? Oh, today I'm saved because it was a good day. But tomorrow's not going to be a good day, so then I'm not saved. And you're just going to go back and forth. We want to offer you some stability with that, all right? Now, another, another uh, downfall to this. Somebody will look at a person and say, well, I see some bad fruit in, in their testimony, in their life. So the conclusion is what? They are definitely not saved. And, and you're jumping to a conclusion. Uh, some people, I think you got to factor this in. When they say, I looked at that person's life and I don't see good fruit, I see bad fruit. How do you define bad fruit? What, what, what qualifies as bad fruit? Because sometimes what people will do is, is say, well, you have bad fruit because your fruit doesn't look like my fruit, right? Because my fruit's good and my preferences and my convictions and the way I go about things is good because, well, I know I'm saved. And since you don't make all the same decisions that I make, you must not be saved. Do, do you see how we start to compare our trees unfairly? That, that's going way too far with that. Um, I think, though, this is a fair thing to say. If you see somebody uh, that claims to be saved and there is a habitual sin, there's an obvious fault in their life, either they believe something that is wrong or their behavior, there's something that they're consistently doing wrong, what do we do with that? If there is a, a habitual sin, something that they struggle with. Now, I'm not going to ask you to amen or raise your hand here, but do any of you have a sin that you just struggle with? A lot of us do. Right? So what do we do with that? Do we automatically jump to the conclusion, well, I got this one bad piece of fruit that just won't get off my tree, so I must not be saved. Is that the right conclusion? Well, if you just take little bits and pieces of this passage, you might end up believing that. But hopefully I can help you tonight. I want to show you the entire the entire passage and help you understand why Jesus used this particular analogy. All right? This analogy of a good tree giving good fruit and a corrupt tree with evil fruit, it is a simple analogy. It is a general observation. If you were here Sunday night, we talked about Proverbs and how Proverbs are general observations that talk about general truths that are generally applied. That's what we're getting here. Jesus is using a general analogy that in nature, a certain kind of tree will give off a certain kind of fruit. We're not meant to run off and, and think that everything about a tree is also going to be true of a person. Does that make sense? Right? So yes, can we learn something from trees about humanity? Sure, there are some corollary, right? There, there's some similarities. But not everything about a tree is the same as a human. The, the Bible says this, 
as the dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. Right? You guys remember that proverb? Okay. So sometimes people are like dogs. Is that true? Oh, you can say amen to that. (laughs) Sometimes people are like dogs. Now, the Bible makes that analogy. Does this mean that everything that's true about a dog is also true about a human? No, we don't expect, well, I'm not going to get into greetings and how we get to know each other, but we don't do things like dogs. (laughs) We're not going to do that. We learn a lesson here or there. There are some times that the Bible says, here's something you can learn from nature but you don't want to run off and start making too much of the analogy. All right, so let's get into the context and look at the whole thing, and it'll help us understand verses 17 and 18, 19. Verse 15, let's begin there. Beware of what? False prophets, right? That's what the passage is about. Jesus is trying to help us recognize a false prophet. How do you know one when you're looking at him? How would you know it? Well, verse 15, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. All right? False prophets are not what they appear to be. They are not what they appear to be. That's what we're learning here. If we're going to recognize a false prophet for what he really is, we have to look a little deeper. You have to go beyond the surface. That's what we're learning from verse 15. Now, let me give you another analogy real quick, and and this will flow into the next analogy. Can a wolf do what nature demands in order to create another, to have offspring? Can a wolf produce a sheep? A wolf cannot produce a sheep. You can't do that. Does that make sense? And, And sheep... They don't have baby wolves. They produce lambs, right? Sheep give sheep, wolves give wolves. That's pretty simple, isn't it? That's that's the level of simplicity we need to carry into the rest of the passage. It's that simple. Let's keep going. Verse uh, 16, ye shall know them by their fruits. And now Jesus is going to pivot, having used the word fruits or offspring, he's going to talk about trees. Do men gather grapes? of thorns. Well, no, you don't go to a, 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 a vachabiki and look for grapes. Grapes come off of a vine or a vine tree. In the Bible, it's called a vine tree. Grapes come off of a vine. You don't go to a thorn bush expecting to find grapes. That's all that he's saying. He goes on in verse 16. Do you gather grapes of thorns? No. Or figs of thistles? Well, no. So I looked at, you guys can help me here, distels? Is that the right way to say it? Distals? All right, so you don't, you don't get dreva from, from durings. Durings? 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 And, and the feya from the distals. You don't, you don't get, those don't go together. In, in English, when we say thorns and thistles, there's a certain kind of tree in the Bible. It's called a bramble, a bramble tree or a bramble bush. I tried to look up in, in South Africa what would be similar to that. You guys have a lot of thorn bushes and thistles and all sorts of stuff here. Uh, how many of you know what the nabuum is? Am I saying that correctly? Nabuum? Nabuum. All right, so that, that gives off a yellowish flower and a small reddish fruit. I'm, I'm getting this. This is what Wikipedia told me, not my experience. But that, that reddish fruit is poisonous. They actually rub it on animals to kill the maggots 
whenever an, a wound is on some sort of animal. So that, that thorn or that thistle is not going to give you fruit that is edible. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 17, even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Let's use verse 16 to understand verse 17. What is a good tree? Grapes and figs. What is a corrupt tree? Thorns and thistles. So what are we learning in verse 17? A good tree, grapes or figs, gives off what? Edible fruit. Fruit that can be eaten. It gives off grapes and figs. But a corrupt tree, thorns and thistles, bear in mind when God punished Adam for his sin, he said, Adam, from the ground, cursed is the ground for thy sake. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. Corruption. That's where nature got corrupted right there. So a corrupt tree brings forth what? Evil fruit. You can't eat it. It's poisonous, all right? Now, when you read in verse 17, a good tree, a good tree, good in what sense? Because good can be subjective. Perhaps after the lesson tonight, you'll come up and say, Pastor Mike, that was a good lesson. How good? (laughs) Right? Your version of good may be different than my version of good, and we may judge that differently. So when the Bible says a good tree, what are we talking about? I'm glad you asked. Come back to Genesis chapter 2, and I want to give you a biblical answer for this. Genesis 2, and get verse number 9. Genesis 2, verse 9. A good tree is a tree that produces food that may be eaten. Genesis 2 and 9. Out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. It is edible. Look at chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she noticed that it was edible. She had never eaten that fruit before. But she said, this is the kind of fruit that can be eaten. She, she noticed that it was at least that, that kind of tree. So when, in Matthew 7, when Jesus talks about a good tree, it's explaining, it's like an umbrella statement for figs and grapes. These are things that we can eat. It is good for consumption. But a corrupt tree, thorns and thistles, brings forth poisonous berries and flowers and things that cannot be eaten. Okay? So verse number, back in Matthew 7, verse number 18. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. A good tree, let's say a fig tree, it cannot bring forth the poisonous berries of the knobwoom. That makes sense? This doesn't, we're going to talk about this later. This does not say that a fig tree will always produce delicious, perfect figs. There might be some naughty figs. There, that's in Jeremiah chapter, chapter uh, 24. There might be some naughty figs hanging on that tree. Some figs that aren't, that aren't good for much. But they're still figs. All Jesus is saying, a good tree cannot bring forth poisonous fruit. That is, it cannot bring forth the fruit of a thorn or a thistle. 
it is going to bring forth the fruit after its kind. It is that kind of tree. It will produce that kind, an apple to apple trees, mango to mango, and etc. Verse 18, at the end, a corrupt tree cannot bring forth good fruit. So we just flip this around. You cannot go to thorns and thistles and find grapes and figs. They, those fruits do not come from those kind of trees. That's all Jesus is saying. He's trying to drive home the point that if you want to recognize a false prophet, you cannot look just at the surface. You cannot look just at what he's professing. You have to give it some time and see what kind of fruit comes out. Now, what, what would Jesus qualify as good fruit? That's the question. Not what I qualify as good fruit. What would Jesus qualify as good fruit? Well, verse 19, every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. If you are a thorn or a thistle, right, then it is impossible. You're not going to be able to bring forth the right kind of fruit. The only thing you're good for is firewood. You're just good to be burned. Verse 20, wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. So this is how you, my disciples, will know false prophets. So let's talk about the right kind of fruit. Verse 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So it's not enough to simply make a profession. That is the equivalent, verse 15, of putting on the sheep's clothing. Sounds good on the outside, but that's not enough. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? You know what a lot of people will say here? Good fruit equals good works. But wait a minute. There are a whole lot of people that are trusting their good works to get them to heaven. Listen here, Cain, your fruit basket will not be accepted by God. Only the death of a lamb, Abel. Cain's fruit basket, well, you're not saved by fruit. If you say, well, I'm, I'm, good fruit equals good works. That is, that's oversimplified. That is not what the passage teaches us. These people in verse 22, they are preaching in the name of Jesus, doing miracles, casting out devils, and they're on their way to be burned. So that's not the good fruit. All right, what is the fruit we're looking for? Verse 23, then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So what is the difference maker? Whether or not the person knew the Lord personally. Now, if you are doing good works because you know the Lord personally, right, then the faith is bringing forth the right kind of fruit, but you're not trusting the fruit to save you. You're not trying to show God how good you are. Look at all my fruit. That's Cain. And that, end up, that, that ends up cursed. You're saying, because of what I believe and because of what Jesus has revealed, because of this personal relationship with God, now I'm going to do these good works. But I'm not trusting the works to save me. I'm trusting the faith. Do, do you understand the difference? So when we read in verse 21 about somebody doing the will of my Father, what is the will of God? For people to individually, personally, genuinely, Know the Lord. 
to be born again, to draw nigh to the Father in a close walk with Him. As a result of that, what will be the, can we say, the consequence? What will be the fruit of that? Well, there will be a series of good works that come as a result of that. You will be conformed to the image of Christ. See, little by little, that personal relationship, that faith, will have the right outcome. But you don't want to look at this and say, well, if I'm not seeing good works, that must mean I don't have faith. You you can't just look at the fruit. You have to also consider the, the faith, the personal relationship. That's the will of the Father. It must start there. Now, take your Bible and come to uh, Galatians chapter 3. So a false prophet, as you're finding Galatians 3, let me expand just slightly on what we've learned in Matthew 7. A false prophet cannot produce a personal relationship with God. He doesn't preach that. He doesn't teach that. Does that make sense? Because what he's preaching and teaching is do these good works and you'll save yourself. Do these good works and look at how impressive I am. He's not doing this because he loves the Lord and knows the Lord. He's doing it because he's trying to save himself. So a corrupt tree, a false prophet, the gospel that he will preach or the message that he will preach won't save you. Because he's going to say you must do good works to be saved. That's not true. Does that make sense? Now, how about this verse from Proverbs? I bet you know this verse. Proverbs 11, verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. So so what does a good tree do? A good tree, the fruit of the righteous, is a tree of life. A good tree produces life in other people. Because what? They're sharing the gospel that saved them and gave them life. And they're winning souls through that. All right, so let's look at Galatians chapter 3, verse number 10. And we'll talk quickly here. You understand, we've talked about Matthew 7. I I hope that has added some clarity for how to approach those, those verses. And now I'm going to move forward just a little bit with this illustration of thorns and thistles grapes and figs, right? So I'm not explaining further Matthew 7. I'm carrying on talking about some other things. Galatians 3 verse 10, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the what? Curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. That's a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 27. If you are trusting your best efforts at keeping the law. God, I'm trying to do everything you told me to do. You're trusting your works. Then the Bible says you're under a curse. That's thorns and thistles. Right? That's Genesis 3. That's the curse. There's no way that you can win because you have broken God's law somewhere. No one continues in all things. All of us fail somewhere, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? So if you're trusting your good works to save you, you're under the curse. You are a thorn or a thistle. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, look at verse 13. How do we fix that? Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse 
for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. What was Jesus wearing around his head when he was hanging on the cross? Crown of thorns. He took that curse. Not only your curse, but the curse of, the, of all of nature. Jesus came to fix the whole thing. Not just humanity, but, but his creation completely. He became a curse. He became sin for you. So when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, He makes you a new creature. You're created new in Him. You're no longer a thorn or a thistle. You're now a good tree. You are able to bring forth fruit unto God. As a thorn or a thistle, you could not do it. And a, a corrupt tree cannot do that. But now you're no longer a thorn or a thistle. You're not under that curse anymore. You're in Christ. Christ already took the punishment. Look at Romans 7. So now, as a, as a tree that is good for food, you are able to produce something that is pleasing to God, if I can say edible, right? Some, something that, a sacrifice that He would receive, you can produce good fruit. Romans 7, look at verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to Him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. You cannot do that as a thorn or a thistle. You are now, can I just use the analogy, a grape or a fig. You're one of those trees. But now, follow with me. As a, if you're lost in here tonight, thorn or a thistle. No matter how many good works you try, you're under the curse. Right? But if you trust the shed blood of Jesus Christ to wash away your sins, you are a brand new creature you are a grape, a vine tree, or a fig tree. But we now need to have another discussion about the quality of your figs or the quality of your grapes. Does that make sense? So now we can look at this good tree and sure, we can see, hey, there are grapes coming out, there are figs coming out. There should be some evidence that you are a good tree. So I'm going to now look at, I'm going to start going through the Bible and seeing, is it possible for a good tree to have some lackluster quality fruit? So let's take a look at this, James 3. I'm not going to spend too much longer on this, but let's drive this point home and then we'll take up some prayer requests. James chapter 3. Right? If you're saved tonight, you are a grape tree or a fig tree or some other kind of tree that's good for food. However, if I can use the agricultural analogy, environment will affect the tree. Maintenance will affect the tree. Weather will affect the tree. Worms will... I mean, there are so, so many things that can affect the tree. Does that make sense? You got to be careful where you plant your tree. You need to plant it by the rivers of water so you can bring forth fruit in its season, right? You got to be careful about how you manage that tree. You're always going to be a good tree. But how many of you remember a story where Jesus walked up to a fig tree and it only had leaves and it didn't have figs and he, and he cursed it and said, no more fruit on you forevermore done. You say, aha, you see? It's a bad tree. Oh, no, no, no. It didn't become a thorn tree. 
It didn't become a thistle. It's still a fig tree. It's just a punished fig tree. It is a picture of God saying, you, Christian, are not doing anything I tell you to do, so you're coming home early, and you die before your time. No no more opportunities to bring forth fruit. Is it still a fig tree? Yes. It's just a useless fig tree. I told you earlier in Jeremiah 24, the prophet was brought two big baskets. One had very good figs and the other one very naughty figs. There are a whole lot of Christians with naughty figs. Those figs, they're just, you look at them in the basket and you know those, that's rotten fruit. You know that they're figs. You know that they're figs, but you know, I wouldn't touch that. I wouldn't feed it to my dog. I would, <laughs> that thing is nasty. You know what it says in Isaiah chapter 5? Listen to this. God planted a vineyard, Isaiah 5. It says the house of Judah and the house of Israel, that's that's the plant that was put into the vineyard, into the land. God hedged it about, took out the stones. He did everything he could for the vineyard. And it says in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 4, he waited and expected for it to bring forth grapes because he planted a vineyard. You know what it brought forth? Wild grapes. And God asked the question, What could have I done more so that you bring forth the right fruit? I did everything I could. Now, listen, God planted that, but it brought forth the wrong fruit. You can be saved and not have the right quality of fruit. Is it still a grape? Yes, but it's a wild grape. And we all know some people that just get a little wild. (laughs) Now, look at James chapter 3. Verse number, let's start at verse 8. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith, verse 9, therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. And then James gives us the obvious observation, verse 10, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. So one tree producing two different qualities of fruit. He said, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing, my brethren. Now watch this carefully. These things ought not so to be. He did not say, well, if you're saved, you wouldn't have any bad fruit. If you're saved, then you wouldn't have any cursing coming from your mouth. You shouldn't. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. If you're a good tree, you should have the best quality fruit you can have. If you're a sweet fountain, sweet things should come from your mouth. How is it we find bitter things coming out? James is making an observation to say, listen, if if you're saved, brethren, if you're a brother in Christ, we shouldn't see this duality. We shouldn't see this split personality where it's good fruit here and bad fruit there. We need to just get on the good fruit, the good quality fruit. Look at verse 11. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? I'll ask you that. In nature, do you find a fountain sending forth sweet and bitter water from the same spot? No. But see, you can run too far with that analogy and say, "Uh uh-uh, I heard that brother, you know, he spread a rumor, he told a lie, he used a curse word. Okay, well, then he's lost. See, now you're going too far. 
James is saying in nature, that, that fountain only gives off one kind of water. That's how it should be. That's how it ought to be with us. So he's helping us learn a, an important lesson using nature as the example. But he's not saying, well, if something bitter comes out, you're lost. <laughs> now you're going too far. You're going to be under permanent conviction and you'll never have the joy of the Lord. You can't do that. Verse 12, watch what James learns from what Jesus taught us. Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? Can it do that? No. Either a vine, figs? No, of course not. So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. What's his point? Don't be double-minded. Don't live a double life. If you're saved, act like it. If you have the faith of Jesus Christ, live according to that faith. So I'll finish with this from Galatians 2. You know this verse. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Because of that faith, I'm going to lay down my life on the altar and let him live through me. And that will bring forth the right fruit. Okay, so we're just getting started with our series, but I hope that's helped to look at Matthew chapter 7.